0: back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: This is one of those weekends that makes you stop and think about all you have to be grateful for, especially as an American. Memorial Day weekend, basically. The whole weekend, I feel, should be devoted to uh, thinking of our beloved vets and uh anyone who has done any type of service to this country. And then, of course, remembering those who died and did not come home and gave the last ultimate sacrifice for our country. I'm so grateful. And our show today is going to have um, a wonderful guest who has written a book that commemorates Memorial Day. That's all coming up in the second half, Doyle Glass. In addition to being Memorial Day weekend, it also sort of signifies that what they call the unofficial start of summer. And what better time to get excited about reading some fabulous books uh, to keep you company, whether you're at the beach on vacation or at home and doing your regular routine, but just in the lazy, hazy days of summer. Well, I have starting off in our summer reading series today. A good friend of mine who, uh, over the years, has written many books, all of them nonfiction. She's a love expert. She was a publicist to many stars. She launched the careers of Deepak Chopra and uh, some of Marianne Williamson and Neil Donald Walsh, people in the consciousness and spiritual space, and has truly been a guru of finding love in your life, Arielle Ford. But now she has written her very first ever novel and boy oh boy is it a good one it will it is the ultimate summer read and for anyone who wants to find romance revenge healing and spirituality all in one great book it's time to get the love thief and when you do if you pre-order her book by the way you get 10 free yoga videos uh that are specifically towards finding inner peace and healing um, of whatever your heart might be going through. So Arielle Ford is here to tell the story about how she went from writing nonfiction to her very first novel. And in fact, the book is already being optioned and produced for an episodic series, a streaming series. So that is very exciting. But right after Arielle, we're going to have a gentleman by the name of Doyle Glass. He has written. Actually, he has Uh, an updated version of his book called Swift Sword, which is the true story of the Marines of Mike 3-5 in Vietnam for September 1967. Now, Swift Sword included in its latest edition are 50 interviews with soldiers of Vietnam, veterans who came back and lived to tell some of the most horrific stories, but also stories of great valor and for that, I think it's an absolute perfect summer read for us to truly think about those veterans of the Vietnam War, all veterans, of course, and all people that perished in the war. So Swift Sword, Doyle Glass coming up, and of course, good news at the end with Jim Cleefield. I'm Laura Smith, and the show is brought to you today, per usual, by our good friends and family at Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies and a capsule. Balance of Nature is one of those all-American companies as well. It is made here in America. They believe very strongly in the... The promise of America and all that is good and wonderful about our country, and they are doing so much a balance of nature, not only with uh, this product that is serving billions of fruits and vegetables across the planet, but they are also building a village to commemorate the United States, and we're going to have more news on that this year as it gets underway called Liberty Village. So Balance of Nature is where you go to find out about the fruits and veggies and the whole health system and also about Liberty Village. And when you do order your fruits and vegetables, by all means, please put my name in the promo code, L-A-U-R-A, Laura. That way they know that you heard it here on the way home. When we come back, our summer reading series begins with Ariel Ford and The Love Thief. Don't go away. It's Memorial Day weekend on the way home.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Oh, it was about 20 some years ago when I was at a bookstore. I think it was Barnes and Nobles. I was in New York and a book literally fell out of the shelf onto the floor that I had never seen before. And I looked at the cover and it said hot chocolate for the mystical soul on the cover. And I said, Oh my goodness! What is this? So I pick it up, I take it home, I start reading it, and I read the whole thing in one sitting. I could not put it down. I said, "Who is this amazing woman who wrote this book?" And honestly, it was probably in, you know, in the early two thousands or something. And uh, I just I couldn't believe how great this was. And then I found that there was a sequel. There was. Hot Chocolate for the Mystical Lover and Hot Chocolate for the Mystical Teenager. And then I found out that she had a whole bunch of books and all based on the beautiful concept of love. And it really was so life changing. And not only did I learn so much about really connecting and real, true spiritual love, but um, I found out a lot about this person who I ended up hiring on a an incredible health and wellness spiritual platform on Sirius XM. I wanted her to have her own program because she was so prolific in her writings and her teachings on love. So Ariel Ford became a radio show, uh, which was it's some I think it was the same thing, was it Mystical Cafe?
2: Mystical Cafe, yes. You gave me my big break into radio, so thank you. That was so <laughs> much fun.
1: I, I was so starstruck because I had been like reading and rereading these books so often. And then when I finally got to meet you and you were like on the platform and I was just beside myself because um, you are truly one of the I, I mean, the the career that you've had, uh, you know, even up until now, even before I met you was so outstanding as a publicist, the people that you had uh, been their publicist for Deepak Chopra, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, Mar- Marianne Williamson, who's running for president now. Um, there are so many people you put on the map in this whole sort of spiritual love consciousness raising sector that I, it was truly unbelievable. Your sister as well, your late sister, uh, Debbie Ford, who was just somebody I idolized as well in terms of her beautiful, beautiful work. Um, It 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 truly was outstanding to me that you had done all of this before I ended up getting you onto the radio. And how lucky was I? I wish we had copies of those shows somewhere. Someone has.
2: I do. I have CDs of every single show. I don't have a CD player anymore, but I have CDs.
1: Is that right? Oh my gosh. Well, I have three CD players and no CD, so I should give you one of mine. <laughs> um, but truly it was so great. And I learned so much about love and life from you, Ariel. And it, you're, you're an old soul in the sense that you were really talking about love on such a different spectrum and level finding your soulmate the way you did Brian and and sharing your story has given hope to millions and millions of people and you've turned this these teachings into well you speak all over the country and probably the world as well. I got to see you last year in Boone North Carolina about finding a soulmate and it was just wonderful you are just you have first of all you're living proof that true love, can happen and that you can learn to manifest it. There are ways of doing this with your soulmate books and, and such, but now something brand new. I can't believe someone with this vast a career that you have. You told me last year in North Carolina, you said, guess what? I'm writing a novel. I said, a what a novel? Cause all of your stuff just comes from this wonderful knowledge that is all, you know, nonfiction. You're writing a novel that takes a lot of guts and, Then I, lo and behold, a year later, I get an email from your publicist, your publicist saying that the book has been written, The Love Thief, and that it is truly going to be the blockbuster summer reading. And then you're going to, people are going to take it into the winter and, you know, it's going to be the next blockbuster. I know it is. It's so fantastic. Congratulations on getting a novel out. How was that?
2: oh my god well writing a novel was never on my to-do list ever like I, I've i written 11 nonfiction books but never once did I have the thought oh maybe I should write a novel Like that never happened and yet this book started appearing in my mind like a movie and it wouldn't leave me alone I, that the title came and the first line of the book and and I could see the whole arc of the story and I kept saying no go away. No, I don't want to do this. And it wouldn't go away. It was like I was being stalked, totally stalked by this story. And I knew by watching the movie in my head that the majority of the story would take place in Rishikesh, India, a place that I had been to many times and always loved. But I also knew that if if I were going to write this story, I'd have to go back to Rishikesh to do some research. And so One day when I was really sort of perturbed at this this movie that wouldn't go away, I said, okay, God, if I'm meant to write this book, if I really have to write this book, then I need to manifest a ticket to India, a $7,000 business class round trip ticket to India. And then I sort of took this deep breath and I thought, oh, I'm safe. That's never going to happen. And three days later, I ran into an old business partner and he said to me, what's new? What are you up to? And I said, oh, I'm trying to manifest a trip to India. And he said, when do you want to go? And I gave him the dates and he looked at his phone and he said, oh, I'm free that week. I'll take you. And we had been to India together once before. And so suddenly I'm in India and I'm in Rishikesh and I'm tripping over the sights and sounds and people that I saw in my imagination, like they're all showing up in the 3D physical world. So I did this week long trip in India, came home and for the last four and a half years I've been writing and thank God it's now done. And the book, the love thief is coming out on June 27th.
1: Oh my goodness. I, I didn't know all those particulars behind it, but it makes total sense because I think, Almost everything in your life has turned to out to be that way from from the books that I've read about everything from finding love to your career and and all that you have accomplished but really within three days you manifested that trip well so this is what is so if so it's coming out in June I thankfully I got my hand on a, a copy a pre-sale copy and that when you read it and I've never been to India I've been Almost all over the world, but I've never been to India, but I've been fascinated by it forever. And you bring it, I can smell, I feel like I can smell the, the, those things that you smell when you're walking down the streets of a foreign country. Countries smell different, and it's the food and the, and, and all different things that make up a country. So when I'm reading your book, The Love Thief, which honestly you cannot put down, it is, it is just so delicious. I can't explain it to people with everything from from love to spiritual growth to revenge to it. Just it it reads like it is a movie. I feel like I'm seeing it as a movie when I'm when I'm going through it, and I'm wondering. So this was being revealed to you almost like it came to you, was knocking on your your heart and saying you need to write this story. Do you feel like you know why? Like, what is it about The Love Thief that is so capturing that it captured you to write it?
2: Oh, you know, it it was inside of me kicking and screaming to get out. And so my story is that before I reincarnated into this body, somehow I made an agreement to do this that I don't remember. However, you know, the story is It's a story about a woman who gets her heart broken and her dreams crushed. And there is a very juicy revenge subplot in it and a happy ending. And it's also the story of so many women that have been taken in by a toxic narcissist or even a sociopath who've had their hearts broken. I can't tell you, almost every woman I know has had that experience at least once, if not twice. And so as as the story was coming to me, it all felt very familiar. Now I had as in my younger years had an experience, but not to the degree that my protagonist has. You mm-hmm. know, this guy really ruined her life on every level. Um and as I was writing it, I was sharing pages with some friends of mine. And then they would call me in tears, sobbing. Oh, my God, you wrote this book for me. I lived this experience. I never felt like anybody could understand the level of rage and anger. And then I was in the deepest depths of depression and grief and sadness and, and the tragedy of betrayal of what they went through. So ultimately, the story is is really a way to heal from love gone bad and healing from love gone bad is really hard to do there's a woman named dr. Helen Fisher who is the world's leading love anthropologist and she has done research that has proven that overcoming a broken heart is harder than overcoming cocaine addiction Wow! and what happens when you're in a relationship with a monster toxic narcissist they they actually prey on smart, successful, attractive women. So you never had a chance. They are charismatic. They're smart. They know how to wine and dine and romance you. And they do that until you're hooked, until you're now a junkie for their love. And then the real them shows up. And you're completely confused confused and baffled because you've had two or three or four months with this too-good-to-be-true love of your life, and suddenly you're trapped in a nightmare, and they're stealing your money, and they're lying to you, and they're having sex with your best friend, and a million other terrible things. So the message of the book is, A, it's not your fault, B, this is how it happened, you got love-bombed, and that's a term, you were Mm -hmm. literally love-bombed with a man holding an AK-47 of romance, You know, you are wiped out, and there's hope, and you will recover, and here's how you do it. But that's sort of woven in through the back door of the book, because mostly it's a romantic spiritual thriller. Uh, My producer in Hollywood calls it "E. Pray, Love meets Dirty John, and that's really (laughs) the best, shortest description of The Love Thief.
1: It is. I was getting sort of reminiscent of when I was reading, I was going, it sort of reminds me of Eat, Pray, Love, but this is way better than Eat, Pray, Love. And not not to, you know, uh, discourage anyone from reading. Eat, Pray, Love did
2: not have betrayal and revenge and, and all those sort of things in there, which... You know, we have an equal parts in this book. The other thing the book has, which comes as a real surprise for people, are recipes. Because my protagonist is a chef. And she ends up in India. Supposedly, she was not a seeker. She's not a believer. She went there to go to to cooking school. And so some of the recipes that she learns, very traditional Indian home-cooked stuff, are in the book as well.
1: I absolutely love that. And, you know, you truly have a lot of experience with this because you have been in India so often and i know that um your favorite guru is mine that i met through you um hamachi and she is a backdrop of much of your life of she is just she's the hugging saint she's the love guru and she truly is a magical and beautiful amazing life transforming being and i know that so much of your heart and your spiritual practice and a lot of what you have learned over the years has India as a backdrop. And I know it it means so much to you. So when you portray that in the book, it feels so real. It really is coming from I can smell the curry as I'm <laughs> as I'm reading it. It's just so incredible. And, you know, the other thing, your protagonist being the chef, Um, I think we all on some level have a, a fascination with food. And it, food can be everything. It can be romantic. It can be, like you said, vengeful. It can be anything, but it, 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 it's something that just kind of pulls you in. And this being India is, it makes it just really rich in terms of just all these exotic and things that you want to experience when you're reading a book. And Holly your protagonist is really likable. She's somebody that you can relate to. She's not too perfect so that you're sitting there the whole time wishing, well, that wouldn't ever happen to me because I'm not that great. She's very, very, very real. I think a lot of people see themselves she's in her.
2: She's a snarky girl. She's
1: funny. <laughs> she's funny. That's right. And she's she's flawed but beautiful at the same time. And just I think we can all see ourselves in her to an extent. It's so... It's just amazing that you listened. You heated the call. You went. So you went to India. You got your did all your research for the book. How long were you
2: there? That time I was actually only there for um, a week. But fortunately, my former business partner ended up not going on the trip, so I, I, was, I had no distractions. I was able to really, you know, focus my full attention on what I needed to do there, and and I had some mystical experiences of my own while I was there because I remember um, one day waking up and I was going to go into the main part of town of Rishikesh called Tapavan and I was thinking, God, I, I would like one of these guys dressed up as a Hindu god to come and wrap a red string around my wrist and give me a blessing because everybody around town was wearing, you know, they're all wearing the the prayer beads and the red strings and I didn't have one. Now, two minutes later, there was a man painted up and dressed like Hanuman, the monkey god, wrapping a red string around my wrist, you know. So, you know, the veils are thinner in India. Manifestation happens faster. I was on a trip there with Deepak Chopra once, and we were about to do this crazy ritual. It was the full moon of Pongal, and we were in South India at uh, Ramana Maharshi's ashram, and we were going to circumambulate, walk around for 11 miles, walk mm-hmm. around the mountain with a half million pilgrims doing this sacred full moon ceremony. And as we were about to start the walk, he looked at me with this, this funny grin on his face and he said, in India, spirit is not hard to find. It's impossible to avoid. <laughs> and that's what happens in India.
1: Yeah, absolutely! Oh my gosh, what an incredible experience! But again, that's the that's the what you feel weaved throughout the whole book, the love thief. I love the um, I just love the title too. It's it's so fun because it it's it, it has the mystery in there. It has the that sense of um, you know, you don't think of yourself as being a vengeful person or wanting to be. You know, you want to be, you know, a good person and and very uh, forgiving. You know. A lot of the the Christian, you know judeo-Christian ways are of that. But you know it for some reason, it really helps in this book get you through to the next place to the next chapter, and it's and it's funny too, the way you have woven it in there. I think because most of us never really do, we don't get revenge, you know, so to kind of. See somebody else go through it within a book, and it, it's safe and it's cathartic at the same time. But well, it's just- that's, yeah, the,
2: the other thing, Laura, though, is that the, if, if the word revenge really plugs you in, just think of it as karma, right? Right. That's right. right. You know, karma, you get in the book, you get to witness karma and action. The monster gets what he deserves. And yes, the protagonist gets to help along. She has a choice to help or not help, but she doesn't do anything illegal or immoral.
1: (laughs) And that's crucial for it as well, I think. This is going to be so huge. Now, when I said I read it, I kept seeing it as a movie. You actually have some other potential plans for it right yeah
2: there's a woman in Hollywood who's made a lot of big movies she she made the uh, Austin Power films and Bad Moms and Johnny Depp and Alice Through the Looking Glass and she saw the early pages and she's going to turn it into a limited streaming series at some point I don't know when because there's a writer's strike on right now so it's not imminent but she's been committed to it since you know the first year I started writing
1: Oh my goodness! And so has she read the whole thing now?
2: Yes. Oh yes, she's seen every she's seen every iteration of the book. <laughs>
1: yes, and so I'm sure you can't divulge like who you would who you would think or pick as your protagonist to play Holly if if it were a show.
2: Yeah. No, I I will leave that to the casting directors. You know, I mean, I have somebody in mind for the monster, but he's you know, who knows? Those things, they won't be left up to me. By the time everything gets signed and done, I will not have final say. But as long as they stay true to the story, I'll be happy. And of course, as long as they're very good actors and actresses that can go through the depth and range of emotion that my characters go through, because there's there's a lot of heavy stuff that goes on.
1: It is. It's super wonderful. The Love Thief. Now, I know that at one point you had this sort of offer if people were pre-ordering the book for some type of yoga series. Yeah. Go with it. What a, a great yeah. idea. Yeah. If, if happening- Lo-
2: yeah, if you go to the love and you pre-order the book, you get 10 videos to download, each one taught by one of the world's top yoga instructors. So I gave each of them an emotion to then demonstrate the yogic philosophy and poses to heal anger, guilt, betrayal, grief, um, you know connecting with the divine so there are these 10 great videos and you can have them for free instantly if you go to the lovethief.com and pre-order
1: that is so great I, I it makes me want to also get those recipes and 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 be able to start you know cooking them already um the lovethief.com what a great idea get the the yoga uh videos as well your sister Debbie Ford was uh really such a, a a proponent and a very well-known person in the space of consciousness and 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 healing work, self-healing work and now in the great beyond. Do you feel like she has anything to do with
2: this book getting done? Everything. Everything to do it. She talks to me all the time, you know, uh she definitely has been whispering in my ear. She totally gave me the first line of the book which was my mother was right, <laughs> which sets the stage for the whole thing. So yeah, De- Debbie's definitely had her hand in this. Um, you know, she's even though they say she's dead, for me she's very much alive. She doesn't have a physical body, but she's around all the time and I hear from people that I don't know saying, oh, your sister came to me in a dream. Your sister whispered in my ear. I said, well, you better pay attention and listen because she's pretty smart. She was.
1: She is so very smart and so very wonderful and beautiful. But Arielle, she's also very proud of you because The Love Thief is absolutely Perfect. And it's going to be the best summer book. So I'm going to kick off a summer series on my show here on the way home. And The Love Thief is going to be the one to, to be the first book highlighted. And I'm oh, so
2: grateful. Yeah, thank you so much for writing I just have to tell you this. one really funny thing that happened. When I, I had an original title before The Love Thief. And then when The Love Thief came to me, I thought, God, that's really good. And it was midnight, and I was looking out the window. There was the dark ocean and the dark sky. And I said, okay, Debbie, if The Love Thief is the final title, send me a sign. And in that instant, I saw a falling star.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. And there it is. The yeah. Love Thief. It's going to be way bigger than just your book and lots of it could be the first in a whole long line of novels for Ariel Ford. You never know, right?
2: I'm not even going to think about it right now. <laughs> just bask in the glory
1: of this one. Congratulations to you. you. And for everyone, go to the lovethief.com. Don't only... Pre-order the book. Of course, pre-order the book, but get the free videos as well, the yoga poses, to help heal all sorts of things in your life. Ariel Ford, thank you once again for being on the show. You are a great light in the world. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you.
1: Ariel Ford, everyone, and The Love Thief. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, it is a very sacred, sacred weekend or holiday or Memorial Day. That's exactly what it is, a day of, uh, you know, truly emphasizing the, the love and the memory of all of our veterans of war as they have the ones that, um, have either passed away from natural causes or were lost in battle in the war. And it is, to me, it's so sacred. I feel like if, you know, I wish I knew more about what the day um w- meant, but I thought it would be better to just bring on somebody who really understands what it's all about. And I have a very special author with us today. His name is Doyle Glass, and he has a book that has been sort of updated Um, bestseller already it's called swift sword the true story of the marines of mike three five in vietnam for september 1967 doyle thank you so much for joining us on what is um really truly it's not the unofficial start of summer which is what we always say about memorial day it is so much more and uh thank you for being here
3: laura it's a it's a real honor and privilege to be here thank you
1: so you've written this book with these firsthand accounts. You have done almost 50 interviews with uh, soldiers, people, um, family members, and then soldiers themselves th- that were in the Vietnam War. And uh, it, your book has gotten high acclaim because of its accurate portrayals of really graphic but very important um moments and and battles in the Vietnam War. So it, if you would just explain the title of the book, to me, I had to ask you how to say it so that I was saying it correctly, the true story of the Marines of Mike 3-5 and Vietnam for September. This is a this is a, a, a big uh, qualifier for Swift Sword, your book. What does that mean, the Marines of Mike?
3: The Marines of Mike 3-5 in, in the Marine Corps, there's designations of organizations. So the company has a letter designation. A is ABLE Company. B is Bravo. In this case, it's M Company, Mike, 3 five, Third 3rd Battalion, 5th Marine Division. So that designates a specific company and a specific battalion and a specific division in the Marine Corps.
1: Okay. All right. That's an eye-opener, something I didn't know. So first of all, what was it that I know that you're a historian, you're an author, you're also a sculptor, um, and you were also an attorney general in in the state of Kentucky, a assistant attorney general. You you just have so many hats that you've worn over the years. But uh, authoring this book, why was it so important for you to tell this story? And swift sword, what exactly was that particular uh, facet of of the war in Vietnam?
3: I I wrote. My first book, Lions of Medina, was also about a company of Marines in Vietnam, and it showed more of the lead up going into boot camp and then into a a battle very similar to this one day on Operation Swift. What drew me to September 4th, 1967 was one day, uh, two Medal of Honors were awarded, three Navy Crosses numerous silver stars and bronze stars. So what that meant to me was that there was some incredible gallantry and bravery that occurred in one specific day during the Vietnam War. Why I focused on the Vietnam War is that, you know, we did a great job honoring our greatest generation, you know, those who fought in World War II, but their sons fought in Vietnam. They did not get the acclaim that that they deserved and now deserve but i wanted to document what these young men went through in true combat which i simply did not see being documented for the vietnam war and that's the reason that i did it
1: and boy i can't think of anything really more important i often think of whenever i see a veteran with a with a vietnam hat on i just want to Hug them and thank them and it just, but I, I can't imagine that there's a whole lot that can take away what it must have been like for a lot of them who came back. And of course, for the families of the ones who did not, but that war in particular, um, like you said, they didn't get the recognition in reading certain aspects of your book. Some of the, the scenes that you set with these interviews that you did with these vets and what they went through. I mean, We're talking, when I say graphic, I don't mean in the way that it's just gory or something. I mean, it gives you the pulse by pulse, second to second, uh, action that's going on and often through injuries and, and all the tactical experiences and, and, and what they went through and just the horror and the drama of it all. And you wonder how anybody survived any of it.
3: And that's true. And, you know, you mentioned that this is a second edition. The the first edition of the book, to my fault, did not include the interviews. And as time went on, I always thought something's missing from this. And almost like, you know, you look in the mirror, it's staring me right in the face. They need to tell their story. So I went back to every interview, like you said, 50, and found Read through them all, and put in and in the book their words are in italics where so that the reader will know when a vet is speaking after the battle, and it, it's made all the difference in the world to really bring it to life and to have them tell their story because they were the ones there who lived who lived it and lived the horror so th- those interviews made all the difference in the world.
1: Absolutely. In their words, in their memories. Did you find, were there a lot of uh, vets that perhaps found it too difficult to talk about? You hear about that a lot where many of them came back and they never wanted to bring it up, mention it, talk about it. It was if it didn't happen because it was just too devastating. Did you find a lot of people? I mean, you have many, many interviews, like, like you said, 49 of them in there. Um, from these people. So was it hard for them to recount their stories?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, we're we're talking about the horror of combat. Um, and there were definitely some veterans who I never spoke with because I always obviously asked them, and it was just too difficult for them to relive. But the majority of the veterans, a number of them who have since passed away, since I've interviewed them, Realized that they were telling not just their story but the story of their comrades and those who didn't come back and then and those who did, and that brotherhood and that love that they have for those who fought beside them. Because when it came down to it, the men fought for each other, and that's why it was so important for them to recount this difficult story.
1: I can imagine. And um if you could take a sort of a an overarching theme that ran through most of the stories in the interviews, were there a few?
3: Absolutely. Uh, first off, the leadership uh, and and you know I won't go into extreme detail, but leadership in the Vietnam War was difficult because of the way that the troops were rotated back and forth between the United States and combat so leadership was at a premium. The commander, Lieutenant J.D. Murray, was a man who had combat experience, was at, which was at a premium. A lot of the officers did not have combat experience during the Vietnam War. The fact that he stayed and thought he could save lives, he actually did on Operation Swift because of his leadership. The leadership of the non-commissioned officers, the sergeants, was was very important. And, and these men had a lot that They were up against. First off, they were incredibly outnumbered by a tenacious veteran enemy. They were hampered by a rifle, the M16, which repeatedly malfunctioned, which cost a number of lives when the gun jammed. One of the Marines commented that he'd have to knock out a cartridge and fire. It was like firing muskets in the Revolutionary War. So the gallantry, the tenaciousness the uh, ability to overcome with so many factors stacked against these young Americans, I would say that's the number one overarching theme. in that they were not annihilated. They lived to see daylight again. And that's because of their leadership, their gallantry, their tenaciousness and their brotherhood.
1: And those medals awarded, I I have a very dear friend um, from school who Todd Robinson, who wrote, the film called The Last Full Measure, and it was about Pitsen, Pitsenbarger, I think his name was, who won, the, got the Medal of Honor, but 32 years posthumously. And um, what struck me when I, that and what you're talking about now is that all of this happened, all of these very difficult cir- circumstances that you're discussing, and yet these, a lot of these were I would not say kids, but I mean, we're talking 18 year olds, 19 year olds, That's 20 right. year olds. I, I can't even imagine, you know, having the, the fortitude and the under and the gallantry, like you said, to, to go there and, and want to take care of each other at such a, a, a young age. I mean, we know now that adults aren't even fully their frontal cortex isn't even fully developed until they're <laughs> around 27. And here these amazing, amazing young men coming out of their teens. In these circumstances and doing these unreal things, it's, it's still, it's just uh, mind boggling to me. And I'm so grateful that you had the, the great, the great, uh, you know, desire to bring their stories forth. So this re-edition of Swift Sword, your best-selling book, The True Story of the Marines of Mike 3-5 in Vietnam for September 1967, Doyle Glass, you um, are truly, I think, doing a service to to these uh, men and women getting their stories out. Do you plan on doing any uh, subsequent books of this type? Do you find that there's a great appetite um, for people to hear the words of the people that went through these wars and fought these battles?
3: Absolutely there. uh, I do have plans, you know. The problem, like we all have, is time. These interviews took a number of years and then had to be compiled and put it. And then the whole piece of a giant puzzle had to be put together. So I do have further plans. But my main goal now is to honor our Vietnam veterans specifically there because the majority of them are now in their mid 70s. It's the time to honor them like we did our greatest generation in the 1990s. And my main goal is with these two books, Lions of Medina and Swift Sword, to tell the true story so that all of us can go out and thank our Vietnam veterans.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Doyle Glass, the author of Lions of Medina, which he just said, and Swift Sword, the re-edition of Swift Sword, the true story of the Marines of Mike 3-5 in Vietnam for September 1967, giving us a true inside story about what so many of them went through, their bravery, their courage, and their ability to love their country and one another above self. Truly remarkable. Doyle Glass, I, I, you've done them a great service yourself. They must be very happy to be a part of your book. And thank you so much for bringing it to us. I, I really think that this is something Americans really need to, to take in and, and incorporate into their lives is thinking a vietnam vet thank you so much thank
3: you laura it's been a privilege to be here
1: thank you doyle glass with the book swift sword this is the way home on memorial day weekend we'll be right back
0: welcome back you're listening to the way home with laura smith here's laura
1: Well, I am very inspired by these wonderful summer reading books. We had Swift Sword. We also had The Love Thief. And really what, what is better than curling up with a good book, whether it's on your hammock, your porch, on the beach or anywhere, uh, just to really set the tone for, you know, kind of taking it easy and getting lost in a great story. Well, Great stories is what Jim Cleefield's all about. He goes out there and he finds good news, and I love those stories all the time. So, Jim, it is Memorial Day weekend. Do you have something a little apropos?
0: Oh, I think so. And I know you referenced LJ at the very beginning of the show uh Not only remembering those who gave their lives for this country on Memorial Day, but also specifically the veterans, and I'm glad you said that, because this story, what really resonated with me, not just about helping veterans, those who were able to come home from combat that may have done several tours of service and try to get back into civilian life, but really what really resonated with me with this story is... Where they're getting the help from. And it's a subject I love to talk about on this show. Of course, our four-legged friends. Those wonderful dogs. In this case, service dogs like therapy dogs. Now, there's this national nonprofit organization that hasn't been around very long. Uh, they started five years ago called United States Veteran Service Dogs. They started in 2018. And basically, and their headquarters are located in Louisiana. Unfortunately, their headquarters uh, were ravaged by Hurricane Ida. They were trying to rebuild the facility. But the, the poor thing is about this organization, LJ, that they are trying to help veterans come back to their home lives and do a new normal, achieve a new normal, because even for an able-bodied veteran, I mean life is difficult enough to transition from the battlefield, to home life, let alone with that. But these are veterans who are suffering, let's say, physical challenges or mental challenges. Well, these service dogs, with the help of this organization and particularly some of their local chapters, they're not very many around the country because this hasn't been around very long. But I want to focus on one in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's called Rocky Mountain Battle Buddies. Uh, I think that's the name of the organization. And Basically, this is a nonprofit that finds some service dogs to match up with these veterans who are suffering from, as I said, mental challenges and physical challenges coming back from their time in service to, to help them ease back in. And particularly with this one is that they train these dogs. Um, it's 12- and 18-month process. They find these pet raisers and pet sitters. Usually, uh, the pet sitters are like of high school age. They take them into their care, and they don't just teach them the basic seven commands like they would for typical dog training. They want to train these dogs in a way that they can help these veterans, specifically so they can match them up correctly with these veterans based on what their needs are. For example, if one veteran is suffering from PTSD and anxiety, I'll give an example, then the dog would basically be trained to distract that veteran in some way. Or if there's a veteran who is suffering a physical challenge, could be an amputee, could be in a wheelchair or using a walker, well, that dog can be an extra pair of hands, if you will, let's say to fetch something or retrieve something, maybe open a door, recreating what I guess what I would call a positive experience for these veterans to really help them Ease back into their lives. And uh, this organization is just really wonderful. And as I said, uh, young high schoolers uh, who were interested in doing it, I mean, they, they take care of these animals. And Tina Young, who's a volunteer with the Rocky Mountain chapter of United States Veteran Service Dog, she said, you know, we, we have these dogs in their care with these trainers, and it's tough to give them up because they have a bond with them too. They spend so much time with them, making sure that they're well trained. But we give these dogs for free, and that's the best part of this. There's no cost at all to these veterans whatsoever. And he said, but they're worth their weight in gold, because they're more than just companionship with these veterans, Nick. They're alone. They don't have somebody else. It's just more than just a real companion to have. They're they're way more than that. An extra pair of hands, as I said. And it's amazing. I thought this organization was around uh, much longer than that, the national organization. So what you can do is, if you want to learn more about, maybe perhaps learning more about this program, be becoming a pet raiser or sitter, you just go to the website USVeteranServiceDogs.org is the name of the website. And you can find out, maybe you can make a donation. Maybe if you want to start your own chapter in your local community. As I said, they're not in very many states. The nearest in my area, LJ, is in upstate New York. Maybe they can expand this into 50 states, all 50 states. I think you know, it's, it's just getting started. It's just scratching the surface because I'm sure there's a great need for something like this. So, again, if you want to learn more about this, the national organization, it's usveteranservicedogs.org, and you can learn more about it. And uh, who knows? Uh, maybe you want to become a pet sitter or, or a razor and make a difference in these veterans' lives, LJ, because it's one thing to say thank you for your service. This is a wonderful way of giving back, and what a better way to do that than with these service dogs.
1: I love it. Say the website one more time, really slowly.
0: Sure, usveteranservicedogs dot org. dot org. It's one word.
1: Okay. Does veteran have an S on? It? Is it yes. veterans or veterans veteran? service?
0: Okay. yeah, veterans service dogs. Yeah.
1: Okay. Us veterans service. dogs. the acronym dogs. would be
0: USVSD, right? usvsd.org dot org is another uh-huh.
1: one. All right. Wonderful stuff. I. It's boy. What could be better? Teaming up, um, wonderful animals like this with, with our, our vets. I think it's a great, great idea and a great cause for sure. On this Memorial Day, um, do you have any plans, uh, Bob and Jim for, for honoring our veterans or our, you know, the people that have passed away in the wars or just, uh, uh in your heart with your prayers?
0: Well, I guess in my case, uh, if I may, uh, my dad, uh, who I lost last year, uh, he, was, he served in the Navy. He was a proud Navy veteran. Uh, he served between Korea and Vietnam in the late 50s uh, on an aircraft carrier. And I believe that's where he got his flying skills. He went on to be a great private pilot. He never flew commercially. So I guess in remembering Memorial Day, I guess it was with my dad in mind because you know what he did. I mean, because he, he, he served this country very well. I mean, he didn't have to be killed or killed. But he he served very honorably. So I would say, really, in, in Memorial Day commemorating, it, it's really about my dad mostly.
1: Okay, that's that, and me too. My dad, who passed away in December, he was in the Air Force, and um, he served. I just I think like four years or something like that. But it meant a lot to him. It truly meant a lot to him. And you know, once someone enlists for something like that, I think it changes them forever. And it is something that, when they do pass on, it is something that means more to them, it just so much to them. Yeah. Our How about you, copy. Bob? Yeah. Did did anyone in your family serve?
3: Yes, my nephew was a Marine and uh, one tour of duty over in Iraq, and um, I'm going to be spending the weekend uh, at his house seeing his new newest daughter for the first time, Lila, Lila Aww. Louise.
1: Lila Louise? Yes. Oh, how wonderful. So you get to be with him. He was a Marine, and now he's bringing new life. Oh, I love it. Lila Louise. Mm -hmm. How gorgeous is that? Well, that sounds beautiful. And I know that... You know, we often see Memorial Day as a great, you know, day to kick off the summer and everything. But I think for many, many people, it is their opportunity to say thank you in their hearts, the, their loved ones that have gone on that were indeed service members and those who, who died in wars, uh, fresh ones and ones from very long ago. Such an important. Important, important day, and that made this country what it was. We thank them always. And I thank you both for always doing the show with us. And I hope that everybody has a, a wonderful weekend commemorating Memorial Day and those that you love as well. And that you have a great week. We will see you next time on the way home. God bless. I'm Laura Smith.